It's Open Mouth Syndrome with Elmo Kirkwood and Derek Bostrom. It's this episode where this shark researcher is doing an experiment. He's convinced that bull sharks won't attack people (laughs) in clear water, right? So if they can see well, right? On a Tuesday. Sharks with their notoriously great eyesight. He's standing in water. It's about waist deep. And there's like the other guy, maybe the the host of the show or something. There's another guy in there with him. (laughs) And uh, they're just completely surrounded by a lot of bull sharks. And they're right in the midst of them, right? And uh, the host goes, oh, that one just touched me. There's a cameraman in there underwater. And they go. They show the underwater view, and you see this bull shark come over. And suddenly, though, the water has become slightly roiled, <laughs> so it's no longer as crystal clear as it was. And uh, <laughs> this uh, this bull shark comes over and kind of sniffs the the, the researcher's right leg, and then decides, oh, "This left leg looks absolutely delicious," and bites his calf off. I've actually seen what you're talking about. And then they show it, right? And his little yeah. tiny leg. They show yeah. it. They, they're like immediately, like he screams and they're like, tourniquet, tourniquet. And the shark is like, oh, I was right. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. And the amount that he doesn't die, they tourniquet his leg and they save the leg even and stuff. And You had a good shark week then? It's shark week right now, apparently. This is fine and all, but what I think of sharks, I... Uh... I think of being out of the water. <laughs> Let's start our podcast. <laughs> so, Chris, here's the thing. Yes. You were once a professional podcaster. Yes. And as you can see, uh, five years or so down the road, the production values of a podcast have, have changed. I know this isn't the bougie, you know, sort of to do that you uh, yes. were used to. Yes. See, what, what Derek and I do, it's it's not even granola. It's the, the, the crap that, like, your roommate from last semester left in the cabinet that was granola but it's dried out and then it's your other your shake. other roommate randy's yeah, randy's buddy travis passed out and he ate some all drunk in the middle of the night so it's still got his finger grease in it so there's this finger grease granola where yours was kind of just like a banana that got left in your backpack for a couple days too long not that long it's bruised but it's edible yes <laughs> yes i thought you might be able to give us some pointers well i think you guys you know, your comers, your comers, I think you got a lot of talent here. And uh, I think you're going to make a very fine quality product. Got to go. Yeah. The podcasting, I don't know. It's interesting. You got, I think the, the two of you together are uh, are bound for glory. Yeah. Apparently, we need uh, celebrities on our podcast, so we turn to you. That was the gist of my podcast was, um, you know, it wasn't my idea. No. I did not choose to become a podcaster. That was Bill, my old pal Bill. Bill Cody came up with the idea. He was visiting. Fun fact about Bill Cody. Fun fact. Two first names. Bill and Cody. Another fun fact, also named after a famous buffalo hunter, Buffalo Bill Cody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Bill said that he thought I should have a podcast. And I thought, well, do you now? You know me. I'm easy. Yep. So I told him, yeah, what the hell, if you want to try putting it together. Bill lives in, lived at the time, he lived in Los Angeles and had for ages. Now, Bill Cody, he'd already made his bones in the industry with a few other well-lauded projects, as I recall. That's right. He, uh, he made the movie Athens, Georgia, Inside Out. 
which it was at the time. And he's an old pal. I met him years ago. You know when I met him? I met him. He was Ganim's roommate. He was my dear old pal, John Ganim's roommate. Huh. Another industry mover and shaker. Who I went to high school with, John, and uh, who moved to Los Angeles years ago and, and actually became a, a vampire. Film editor. Yep. Not a vampire. Editor. He, he did Little Big Man with Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for years he did uh, that CSI show. The CSI show. Dinks of Vampires. At the time when I met Bill, he was actually doing the Little Big Man thing. So he'd come home from uh, his day at work with these gigantic reels of film. Wait, Ganem would come home with the film reels? Yeah, yeah big They let him fucking things. take the reels off the property? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, well, no one... Well, it was Little Big Man. Whether or not he was let to. Yeah. I mean, and his roommate at the time was a guy named Bill Cody. Yep. Whose acquaintance I made, who has stayed a pal since back then. So he was like, oh, Chris is, spins a yarn, a yarn long enough for us to make a fine sweater with. Chris, hello, Cleveland Kirkwood. I was not aware of the podcast, <laughs> if you will, yeah. of the oeuvre. That was what was fun about it. He just came to it as a person who liked to say things. And at the time, Chris was... Uh, a real hobbyist with his balsa wood boats. So I've been distracted with that. So he gets into podcasting. They just kind of like push him into a door and they're like, hey, talk to like, you know. Did you have to wear a headfo- headset? Headphones? Uh, yes. Huh. Fun story. The studio they did it at. Something to do with Zappa. I'll tell you that. But I, I, I didn't, we didn't have to wear headphones if we didn't want to. You could. Um, going, I'm not wearing these. We were in the in, in the in a studio room. We actually did it at a studio in Hollywood, Hollywood, uh, California, Hollywood, California. You mean famous people, Hollywood, California? Don't be patronizing. He's obviously got more experience than us. I'm not patronizing him. I'm patronizing Hollywood. Okay. I told Bill I would do the podcast. Hollywood, hello, Cleveland, California. Because <laughs> because uh, he would give you money. It seemed like it might be something kind of fun to try. And I told him that if he took care of absolutely all the details, yeah, then I would you know, stay on Mike, show up and oh. jibber jabber. Didn't he have to take care of getting you to show oh, up absolutely. as well? Absolutely, yeah. I would show up at the points of entry and exit. Hmm. He didn't have to actually come to Phoenix and get you, did he? Uh, he brought me home a couple of times. Did you fly or drive? I flew most of the time. I drove out there a couple of times. Well, right away, our listeners will suspect that a budget needed to be procured somehow. Well, that was part of it, trying to figure out, you know, how to pay for getting it done and then how to make it pay for itself. And uh, and it was kind of kind of moving along at a point there. There were some people that were interested in helping us do it, you know, because uh, we were doing it at a studio. We were doing it at a, a small studio yeah. in uh, Hollywood with... Uh, the studio's owner and engineer, Craig Parker Adams, yep. who worked with Zappa. Who, yeah, no, he, well, he worked. He's worked on the reissues, right? He he works with Dweezil yeah. and with like the the Family Trust, and his, he worked on that latest reissue and all sorts of different stuff. I had Dweezil on the show. Dweezil was yep. the last guest we did actually, and it was well, a comforting thing to me to get to the studio, and it's not very big. It's right down in you know it's in Hollywood, and it's a kind of a smallish studio, but one whole wall is taken up by a photo enlargement of Frank Zappa, Dweezel's father, uh, sitting in his at the desk in his mobile studio. Nice. So being, you know, I've, uh, an old Frank fan, I, I found that comforting. And, and it wasn't until I've been doing the podcast for a long time, uh, we... Ruth came with me, my girlfriend. I decided to drive out for one and take a little mini 
trip with her out to Cali. So we cruise out there. And uh, I've been in that studio a bunch and done a lot of the podcasts. And she's the one who suddenly realized, hey, you know what this studio is? And she had found a little photo on the wall and showed it to me. And we realized, oh, crap, you're right. It's the studio that was used in the Christopher Guest movie, Best in Show. Best in Show. uh, Which is uh, hilarious. Which is a, a fun movie. It's the scene in the movie where Catherine O'Hara as Cookie with her husband, uh, Eugene Levy, have won the dog show. Afterwards, they're lauded with opportunities and they decide to make a record about terriers. So it's the scene in the movie where they're in the studio singing the God Loves a Terrier. God loves a terrier. Yes, he does. And uh, the guy, the engineer recognizes her and says, Cookie, Cookie, Fliegelman or whatever. And she goes... Bulge. <laughs> His name is Bulge. I mean, it was that little studio where they had filmed that scene, and I hadn't realized it up until that point. And I asked Craig, Craig, this, well, I just said, I didn't realize that. And he said, yep, that's that happened here. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Who were your five favorite guests? God, I don't if know. If I can put you on the spot for a second. I don't know if I can remember five people that were on the yeah. show. <laughs> We did the most of the most of it was done there. Some of them we traveled to do. Um, I mean, I've, I've experienced the off-site podcast doing. You know, like we did one at John's house. ganham has got a yep. house now, and I did one. I think Rick Agnew, I think, came over to John's house and we did it. Rick Agnew of the uh, Adolescents and Christian Death, the wonderful Rick Agnew. And then we went to Christina Applegate's house. Yep, because she's married to Martine Lenoble who was the bass player in Porno for Pyros, and uh, he's got a cool little studio on the property, and she lives, like, up in the hills there. And, uh, you know how you can zigzag all the way around and get up into the hills in Hollywood, and she had a neat house up in there. Uh, went to Chris, what's his last name, the guy, the guitar player from uh, from Blind Lemon? Blind Melon. Blind Melon. So what you're saying is your favorite five podcast guests were the ones that were attached to interesting locations. Some of the shows were particularly charming, like when the Hayden sisters came in. Yep. Uh, Charlie Hayden's triplets. Charlie's daughters. and They sang, yep. you know, and that was like a, a sweet spot. Um, I got a kick out of meeting... Uh, What's his face from the MC5? Wayne Kramer. That was that was interesting. And some of them were odd. Some of the people, I did not know who they were really, and tried to like. Were you told in advance so that Ruth could do the research for you before you got on she, site? She tried, and some of them were absolutely complete strangers. And I mean, you know, most of them were strangers <laughs> yeah. as far as just like people you know or don't know. But uh, uh, some of them, I, you know wasn't really familiar with their work. It pushed me to try to figure out how to do a podcast, yep. right? And it pushed me to find out if I like doing it, you know? Do I care about trying to, you know, start a conversation with it's somebody? It's not no work. It but definitely it, requires you know, time. And, it, it, you know, you just kind of go, well, here, talk about something. What do you want to talk about? Talk about something interesting and, uh, and make it interesting enough so that... Uh, yeah, but then, then you have to do it again so and again and again and again. And again. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was I kind of enjoyed it. But I also, you know, like was found that I mostly enjoyed it if I fucking tied on a little bit of a liquor liquor buzz in advance. (laughs) What we'd basically do is I come over to Elmo's house. We talk for about two, two and a half hours and I cut it down to about 45 minutes and I cut out anything 
that's too inside baseball, anything that doesn't land, all the ums and silences and all the shit where we say things three times the same way or different way, the same thing three times different way like that. Yeah. That's why I think you guys could have really cool podcasts is because both interesting people, both loquacious. Yes. And uh, then, you know, you're, you've gotten so adept that you're able to do the editing and yourself and you've always been good at editing and that's always, you know, that's my thing. Yeah. And so I let Bill do all that. Yep. I didn't, I didn't have a hand in it. I know that Bill stayed like I, he would get me to the airport or whatever. And, and, you know, and he would go back with Craig, I assume, and, yep. you know, edit the things. Yep. And, um, one of my favorite parts of the, of my podcast was the little graphic that he came up with. I, I, and I, you know, I don't even know who did it. Well, the, with the cactus as a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was good. I liked that. That's beyond me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, so I named it the Chris Kirkwood podcast. Yes, genius. Thank you. And then you got you got one sponsor at the end. Was it uh, just the in one? In the beginning, we got a sponsor. Oh. Uh, I just remember hearing one, and I was like, "Oh, that's Chris." And you know, I've always been a Chris Kirkwood fan. What I like about Chris Kirkwood is, uh, of all of us, he's the one who tries to play. It's kind of the most straight. Oh, I'm a, I'm a fucking, I'm on my knees. But you're the, yeah, but you're the least straight. Slobbering on the, on the, on the junk of mammon. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But uh, listening to you do that read for the, the pot dispensary cracked me the fuck up. Well, you remember the Chevy commercial we did that the band did. Oh, sure. You mean, um, Budweiser? Yeah. Hands up now, here's to you Nobody does it quite like you do You're always out there, never fear You're the best in but your beer Nothing beats our best Budweiser Nothing beats the bugs Nothing beats our best No, no, no Nothing beats an ice-cold Budweiser natural taste and makes it the king of beer. Texas, man. Yeah. And the guy at the time said, you could do this. But I did. I did do that. And then I said, well, certainly if you'll present me with more opportunities. And prop me up. I will do more of them. And that didn't come about. Well, you know, he was just trying to get you out of the studio before you burned the place down. But those guys, um, uh, yeah, the- the uh, Dispensary. The good folks up in Colorado came around and, and were looking to get involved. And it was a guy we met. They're the same people that named a, a strain of pot after. Kurt and I or the family. It was those folks. And then and then it was moving along nicely. And then there was some shakeup up there on their end. And the guy that we were directly connected to started to not have quite the sway. Right. Often so, happens. So the significant backing that they were talking about. Did not materialize. But I got a hoodie out of it that I still use. Did you write the copy or did they write the copy? Were you just reading it? Yeah, I would have been reading that. It was funny as fuck. Yeah. Wellspring Collective, for all your recreational marijuana needs. 
Hey guys, are you tired of ads that claim to be targeting you algorithmically, yet leave you vaguely unfulfilled as a consumer? Are the ads that intrude upon your content feeds making you feel not sufficiently seen? Maybe it's time you tried our advertisements. This is our promise to you. All ads for Meat Puppets and Meat Puppets adjacent products will be 100% of interest to all Meat Puppets fans. Swing on over to themeatpuppets.com store for information on how to find records, t-shirts, audio downloads, and other crazy shit, and see if you don't agree. But anyway, things change. It ended. It's hard to get a payday off of a podcast. I don't know. That side of reality, like monetizing, um, it seemed like there was the potential maybe for it to do it, you know, but it, you know, it goes back to the uh, Zappa thing. It's no commercial potential. Well, I would like to remind our listeners that if you do enjoy this podcast, podcast, be sure to go to the Apple Podcast Store and leave a a five-star review. It really helps. (laughs) There's a thing you can do that at? Yeah. I never saw like numbers, so I don't know how many people are listening to our crap. I I thought Bill did a great job. Excellent. Well, I just wanted to listen to you thread the needle with other people. You know, I've heard all of your stories before many, many times, so I was interested in seeing how you would do it. And um, you were pretty lively, but that probably comes from the snootful. Boy, I'll tell you what. Um... There's nothing quite as fun as getting good and fucked up and then having a mic shoved in front of your face. <laughs> it's going to be fun for you, the fucked up one, no matter what, right? Yeah. The results could be, they could go a lot of ways when it comes to how other people get that, right? Every once in a while, someone's fucked up and they lay down some special sauce. It doesn't happen much. Can't be too fucked up. How about David Bowie on Dick Cavett, just high as shit on blow. His nose is getting wet. He can tell he's a little, he's a little hijacked at first, right? He doesn't know what to say. And he starts getting kind of quippy and like cute, but he's pensive the whole time because he's <sighs> apparently <laughs> he's his teeth. the greatest moment in television of that ever was when they made the huge mistake of letting Paul Williams substitute for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. And he got really high on blow and made a fucking jackass of himself. And you'd be hard pressed to find a copy of that anymore. Paul <laughs> Williams, the kind of pug nose. Yes, guy. the puckish star of Phantom of Paradise and lyricist for many great songs, such right. as Barbara Streisand's Evergreen and The Carpenters for All We Know. <laughs> he wrote Evergreen? Yes. Wow. That happened that he, he substituted for Carson. And- well, he was really fucked up at the time. What year would that have been? 77, 76, 78. So how old would Paul Williams have been? 30s. <laughs> Paul Williams did a ton of great shit. I'm not really familiar with Paul Williams. He's still around. Oh, is he? Uh-huh. He got clean and then he started trying to do more for you know various and sundry sobriety causes. He's got some funny post-hippie toxic songs about how I'm the wind, baby, and I'm here today, gone tomorrow. Don't get hooked on me. Man, that's just the way. I'm kind of like Ken in the Barbie movie. (laughs) And he he was not a handsome man. Um, What? He's like this magical human I'm like so painfully unaware of. No, you're a little young for the Paul. Yeah, Paul Williams pretty much was gone after. I identify as older, so. Cool. Like Paul Williams fan age. <laughs> I'm going to look up Paul Williams right now while we're talking about it, because I can do that. That's how this works. He uh, worked with a fella by the name of Roger Nichols. The the juggernaut hit-making machine of Roger Nichols and Paul Williams is legendary for a certain sort of Partridge Family adjacent type pop mm. music, highly regarded by uh, hipsters to this day. Anyway... Chris Kirkwood and Paul Williams are kind of similar in certain respects. 
both wear glasses. And Paul Williams was born in Omaha, Nebraska. See there? And we got family from Omaha. He goes back to our childhoods. He was huge in like 1970 when the yeah. Carpenters exploded. He was exploding. Yeah. I'm staring at this photo of him, and he's older in the photo. Yep. And he's got... Round glasses. Yeah, and they're orange-tinted. You have to see him young, though. You got to see, oh, oh, see, that, chubby, see that face fleshed out. And had like a little page boy haircut. Uh-huh. Holy shit. <laughs> You saw the Willy Wonka movie, right? Yeah. He's like an albino oopaloompa. Jeez oh, Louise. When I was a kid, I didn't understand that they were supposed to be like something different than people. I thought they were sickly little feet. They were cleaned up for the movie because in the book, they were actual like. They're from an African country yeah. called Oompa Loompa. Yeah. Yeah. They're black jungle folk. It's racist. And they turned them into like leprechauns. And now there's a new movie coming out with them in which the origin of the Oompa Loompas happened. The guy who plays the Oompa Loompa, isn't he a British guy who was in The Wife, My Cake, and The Chef? And uh, then he got into trouble uh, over some sort of sex thing. I can't remember his name. Sex? Cake? Two weddings and a, and a chef cake. You can't? The one that had made, who made love to the mouth of the prostitute in the car. That's D- it. Divine Brown. There you go. Yes. He plays the head loompa. Really? Oh, he looks like one. Yeah. Think and of it. He's very British. And I'm like, oh, the open loompas are British. That's happening. Apparently. He's like, it's as if he's like a butler. His face, he's like one of those people that when he was young, they were like, oh, it's cute, Hugh Grant. But if you really look at what he looks like. He looks like a limey. He, he does. He's dastardly looking. He looks like an old man since he was a child. And now he's like almost full fucking goblin. They turned goblin. The Brits, yeah. Oh, but man, you know who turned appropriately goblin? Paul <laughs> Williams. Fucking Malcolm McDowell. He looks like a turtle now. It's fucking amazing. He's still alive? <laughs> I don't fucking know. Oh, my God. Look at this horrible Paul Williams. Oh, goodness. He's got a little vest on. Yeah, the vest. That's his trademark. Dude, I could be famous right now the way I look. Well, we're working on it right now. Stop talking about another man and start talking about yourself. And we'll you know get what? You there. I actually shouldn't talk down about it. It was him. And who's the who's the little uh, pudgy little ginger joke writer from back then? Not um, Rodney Allen Rippey. No, no, no. Ginger. You mean Danny Bonadici? Fat little joke writer. He wrote jokes for Carson. Him and Paul Williams represented a certain kind of thumb-facedness. Bruce Valanche. Oh, you know, Bruce Valanche, he's even more famous throughout, like, the aughts. Bruce Valanche has, like, dirty blonde hair and his glasses and he's big, fat. Like, you're going to know exactly who he is. This guy. Ah, yes. um, Rodney Allen Rippey. The other guy. Um, the Jumbo Jack kid. No, who's the ginger kid that used to be not Mikey from Life Serial, but you know, the other one he used to be on Mike Douglas all the time. I'm of the belief that most children are ugly, so especially Kurt's children. That's just not true, though. Mike Douglas, uh. Kid. Rippy Pickles or whatever he keeps talking not, about. Not Rodney on Rippy. Oh, Mason Reese. Mason oh, Mason Reese. Reese. Yeah. Oh, look up Mason Reese. And there's another example. I don't want to look up Mason Reese. Whoa. Mason Reese. So we went to high school with this kid named Cody Fish. And my friend Scott one day goes, if you remove the Y, it's Codfish. And my mind was blown. Who am I looking up real quick? Here. Chris has done it for you. Who is this? This is what the 70s were like. So let's see, let's see the Mason Reese you loved. <laughs> I don't like it. 
thing about Mason Reese is he saw somebody famous on there. Some episode of the Mike Douglas show. And Mason Reese was on the show. And some famous person that Mason Reese admired was on, and he began to blubber over it. How old was Mason Reese? I don't know, 10. He's crying on TV? Yeah, it was weird. Can we find that? Oh, is he found it already? Wait, oh, hold on. Chris is good at this. Oh, my God. They put a top hat on that fucking monster? You don't dress Mason Reese. It has a costume. You costume that thing. He was only seven. I don't believe that. Well, I didn't see the goddamn crying. I'll find it for you. Oh, God, he's dressed as a little officer. <laughs> what year do you think this is here? He was like 71, 72 guy. This is what he looks like now. Well, those are the photos I saw first. Oh. <laughs> I have no... Listen, now that it's been brought to my attention that the child has a medical issue, I no longer want to harm it. Call this number. Hold on. I need to see this fucking thing cry. I hope that you'll forgive my friends. <laughs> That's my friends are poor. Oh. Oh, I love you, Mason. He's faking it. That horrible little fucking monster. Underwood deviled ham. Bundeshmord. Four meat sandwiches for under a dollar. Oh, dude, Dinkle Dipley. Here's a fun fact. You know who was arrested the day you and Catherine were born? Who's that? Robert Hansen. The Butcher Baker. Yes. Of Anchorage. That was a fun fact. No, that was one of the least fun facts ever. Well, it will get funner if he would bother to elaborate. He's a horrible man. He's a guy that was originally from Iowa, and after they'd arrested him, they realized that he'd probably move to Alaska to escape from, you know, heinous deeds that he'd done up and done in Iowa. Uh, he moved to Alaska. He was a baker. He had a shop that the police would frequent to get their morning donuts and whatnot. And uh, he was an upstanding member of the community. I wonder if he made old fashions. That's a donut I believe a police officer would enjoy. But suddenly, actually, some cops out hunting, as you were wont to do in that part of the world, and came upon a, a body. This story would be pretty cool if that body was Mason Reese. He was a hellish serial killer. He took his victims out. He would actually fly them out to the woods and release them and then hunt them. Yeah. This is going to all be edited out in post. Oh, you wish. Uh, and they arrested him. I just happened to watch a thing about him the other day. I've been watching FBI things. A butcher baker. I mean, I remember when it happened. I remember him from back then. <laughs> Big fans of serial killers as we all are. Uh -huh. And here's another fun fact. On your 38th birthday, they ID'd one of his victims. Almost 40 years later... I'll be damned. Horseshoe Harriet was the name that they'd given her. Because she was frozen in the shape of a U? She was actually homeless teenager Robin Pelkey. This is like the new podcast concept. Chris Kirkwood reads from his phone. Oh, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> Eudaimonia. It can be defined as a feeling of fulfillment derived from the pursuit of well-reasoned action in service of one's potential. Or something like that. Better to let the music do the explaining. Oh, I forgot. Music never explains. Recorded live over a few days in June 2023, Best Behavior is a collection of seven tracks improvised by Chris, Derek, Elmo, and Ron of the Meat Puppets. The piano-driven instrumental selections touch on free jazz, psychedelic jam, funk, fusion, prog, ambient, and the stylings that are uniquely their own sound. Best Behavior by the Eudaimonics is now available on Bandcamp. All proceeds go towards us being able to continue making music to share with a lot of you. Head on over to bostwood.bandcamp.com and see what you think. We hope you dig what you hear. So speaking of social media, you posted something this week. I did, and it actually involves all three of us. Yep. What was it, Derek? 
Well, you took a poster that I made based on a comic that I've been reading lately, which is so old that it's in the public domain. By what? By who? Uh, be- be- Beaver Hasselbeck? Yes. And um, we posted this thing because we're doing this free show in about a month and some change. The we is who, though? You, Elmo Kirkwood. Me. Who plays guitar and uh, provides us with our vision. Me, the facilitator and drummer, Derek Bostrom, and Chris Kirkwood, the star of the show. Chris will be labeled as bass and pageantry. Yes. Um, We have a new band. Yes. A lot of people are very excited about it, and it made me realize that unlike the first band I started with Chris back in 1980, people already know about it. So we'll be above the radar right away, and people will be throwing things and screaming at us and demanding our beers from backstage. (laughs) The foot in is neat. Yep. I saw that. I went on the Facebook and the Instagram machines and uh, other, you know, online providers of information to announce our new band. Happy Universe. And to plug our show. September 8th at the Mesa Arts Center as part of the opening of their season. And they do a free show. They do it every year. Yeah, so it's a nice little outdoor thing the weather's getting a little bit nicer at evening times which is when we'll be out there and uh we're gonna play stuff because we have a new group the three of us fun it's different than the other band that we're all in together yep it's different than the other projects that we also do together which we plop online and you can hear various versions of but this is um in the process of not crystallizing yet but should we spill the beans about the the moniker that's your department. Well, all righty. Let, 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 me, let me have that mic. You're the name dropper of the band. Okay, so once upon a time, years and years ago, we went to see a, a punk rock band. Gert and Derek and I had started playing punk rock together and various other things as well. This is a hell of a story. I do love these stories, I gotta say, though. I love it when all you guys tell these stories. Well, the way Chris tells it is like, we did all these things and then it, everything came to a moment when we met the famous person. So there, so we went to see this punk rock band that we'd heard about, we knew of. This was in Phoenix we saw them. Yes. We played with them. We didn't play with them this time. No, I guess we didn't. We had played there, yes. It was, it was at the Star System. I don't remember that show. You don't remember this? this is, we went to see Black Flag. Yeah. No, we didn't play at the Star System with no, them. No. That was the first time we saw Black Flag. I don't remember that. And uh, we were standing there watching them, and I clearly remember thinking, wow, these guys have a certain kind of explosiveness yes, and that I hadn't seen in many other bands. When we'd seen a bunch of bands, and a lot of them came up and played their shambolic punk rock, and it was nice to see rock and roll. But these guys had this thing, and it was Robo on drums and Chuck Dukowski on bass, and, and Chuck would kind of get up on his toes and then slam. They'd slam into it. He would lean into it, look at Ro- Robo over the side of his eyes, and then they would go, boom! And then hit real hard. And the singer of that particular version of Black Flag was a young fella who I thought was real good, and I really enjoyed that night, by the name of Des Kadena. Yes, indeed. And he was like their third or fourth vocalist. Something like that. At least third. Yeah, Keith Morrison. Keith and then uh, Chavo. Ron Reyes. Chazo Pedraxed. <laughs> Chavo Pedraxed. Yeah. But uh, Des was chill. He was yeah. cool. I dug the way Later, they it. moved him on to second guitar when they brought Henry in. Yeah, the next time they, we played with him was here in Phoenix at the Knights of Fifty Hall. That was the time we played with him. Yes. And uh, I don't think they had two guitarists yet. No. Uh-uh. It was still Des. Still Deso. Yeah. That night, we got to know them, and they invited us to come play a show with them in Los Angeles. 
at the cuckoo's nest in, in Huntington Beach, actually. Yep. So And that's when we met Henry. So we decided to do that show. We went out there, and Des had been moved to second guitar and then. they were just on the verge of putting out their record in fact they had brought copies of like the test pressings of the cover and des had i remember it real clearly he opened up the, the test pressing of the cover and put it on his head and walked around with it <laughs> that's on right oh, God, i thought of that in years and uh yeah and then that night they had a new singer and we met him it was a young man named henry rollins that was a fun show i remember that uh, at that show unlike the two shows they did in phoenix which were pretty chill right that, that was like night, them in Los Angeles. Down there, the, the hardcore thing was starting to kind of take off. You could tell there were like these little tribes forming, and somebody stole a cop's helmet. Uh-huh. Remember that? It's funny. We have memories about people's hats from the show. It was the hats evening, yes. And uh, the cops came in, and they got on the mic and said, give us the helmet back now or else. Did it happen? It must have because the show continued. So when you guys first saw them... I know we were just talking about this, but where did you see them play? Star System. Which is where? It's in a and brew now. This is wild for me because there's a club in there called Yucca Tap Room. So when I play a gig 16, 17 years ago around, <laughs> I played Yucca Tap Room all the fucking time. I played that venue more than anywhere else. And it's right there in that and same I, I didn't know that at first. And then I remember Cinda telling me once, you know, that's where I went and saw X and blah, blah, blah. I'm like... Where? She's like, right over there. I'm like, the fucking Q and Brew? And I think about that all the time. That's so funny to me because here's this parking lot that like... Great parking lot. Remember one time I ate a bunch of shrooms during a gig and afterwards I had to lay on your lap out in front of that place because I was tripping so hard. Hey, such a good uncle. He's sitting there and letting me lay on his lap in front of this club. He's like rubbing my head gently so I don't lose it. <laughs> There's a train tracks right behind it. To walk across those because I lived right across the street. There was a push to preserve that building as part of like Tempe history. And there was a website about it and all that stuff. It's a pretty cool club. There's a band called The Nervous in town, and they had some mainstream cred with the uh, clubs. And their bassist, who was kind of a hard ass, but he was real instrumental in bringing bands in from California. Mike Modern. Mike Modern. Mike Modern? Yeah, and later he called himself Modor when he changed to a band. It was Bill Board was the guitar player. The keyboard player was Chemotherapy, who, who I dated for a while, but who's... She was the daughter of Howard Morris. The incredible Howard Morris. Of Sid Caesar's Your Show show fame. And also he played Ernest T. Bass on the Andy Griffith, on the Andy show. Griffith show. Another opportunity for me to not really know who that is. This doesn't typically happen when it's just you and me. You get two old people though together. It's me, it's me, it's Ernesty. Oh, man. Well, you know Ernesty Bass. Ernesty Bass was the troublemaking uh, hillbilly on the uh, Andy Griffith show. He liked to break windows. Hellraiser. Brian Brain on drums. Yes, Brian Brain on drums. <laughs> they had a disco floor. They yeah. had a colored a light up floor. It should have been like still. 80, 1980. Yeah. They brought in X, they brought in plugs, they brought in go go's before they were yep. popular. They brought in. Alley Cats, who I loved. Yep. They brought in Joanna Went. We saw all they of those. They brought in Monitor, shows. who we opened for. And that was the last night that that club was open because they were like losing their asses on these stupid bands. It charged like $2. Today. Yeah. And then later on, they opened up as the Merlins, Merlins. And we started playing there again a couple of years later. We right. got some good um, recordings from that place. <laughs> anyway, it's all Black Flag. Des was moved to second guitar. They brought in Chuck Biscuits on drums. Next thing you know, Dez is gone, Chuck is gone, other Chuck is gone, and they've got Bill on drums, Kira on bass, 
Henry on the vocals and Greg in his primary slot as always. And then Dez started DC3. Des Kadena 3. And he also was in Vita, was he not? He was in Vita. With Thomas T. Tricoli. It's so funny because, like, you know, when you're a kid, people talk about people, especially the way that they get talked about amongst you guys. Everyone's Paul Bunyan, right? They'd come to town, and but, like, Kat and I loved it when Dezo would come because we thought he was very fun. And then... Fun thing for me was, quick, I got to find out that Uncle Dezo, who I always thought was such a nice guy, was in Black Flag. And I just didn't put that two and two together. And then I realized that Dezo is my favorite flag singer. And he's one of my favorite hardcore singers. He is my favorite hardcore singer. His voice is really neat. Kind of natural. He's got character. And his father was also a relatively famous individual in that he wrote a famous song that we all know and love as Nighttime. Is the right time? Is that the right one? It's about a train. That's a midnight special. No, he didn't write that one. Because I'm pretty sure it was Nighttime is the right time. I thought it was about a train. Well, that one could be about a train. Eustace. Ozzy Kadena, a well-known A&R man in the music industry and co-founder of the iconic jazz label Savoy Records. Damn. That ain't no nothing. He had this idea that he wrote something, but there's no confirmation yet. And I'm not letting this one die. Did you find it? Chris refuses to find out for himself, but when he wants to know, he becomes the thinker. That's when his name changes from Chris to Eustace. God. Oh, my God. I saw it on a piece of paper in a dream I had, and if you're telling me not to trust myself, then you're my fucking enemy. No, it's totally nighttime is the right time. It was written by Nappy Brown, Ozzy Kadena, and Lou Herman. To take a train to see the one that you love. I was right. It's about a train. No, it's about the nighttime. Derek, Chris was right. Well, there's a picture of Des's dad. Derek was more right. Wow. Actually. Anyway, to pick up this story. So back to our moniker. So, well, yeah, well, well, hold on. But before we pick it up all the way. Let's drop it a couple more times. Derek was more right than Chris. No, he was not right. And I was right. Chris needs to be right a little bit. Well, you know, a lot of songs mention trains, but they're not actually about trains. When I said train, I meant nighttime. You were right. Uh oh. He outsmarted you again. Hold on a second. Look how dumb we look. Well, there Chris sits atop his fucking victory stool. Thank you, Thank you all for <laughs> listening to the Chris Kirkwood podcast. Speaking through his victory mic. Well, you're listening to the Chris Kirkwood show with Bill Cody. I have two first names. So, so anyway, there was another famous person involved, and we met him at the Knights of Pythias show, which was the second Black Flag show we saw. It was Spot. We met Spot then, and we went on to work with him. But as things do, his story came to an end earlier last year, about a year ago. It wasn't that long. It was earlier this year, yeah. They had a little event for him, a tribute to him at the studio where uh, we recorded Meat Puppets 2 and Up in the Sun, which was Total Access. Handful of people showed up, and Chris, uh, did you go? I virtually went. Pray tell. Only his left calf went. So a couple of friends of ours went, and they got you on FaceTime. They held the phone up and uh, let me watch the it's whole so thing. so much less romantic when you say it like that. I like his virtual attendance. I'll go with that. He's like a fucking specter. I was virtually in attendance as well, as yeah, far as that right. goes. Hey, look at the picture. They got a Dezo here. Does it have a Meat Puppet shirt on? Yeah. Well, look at that. So, Chris, speaking of Meat Puppet shirts and famous people. So, uh, yeah, I, I we were invited to the uh, Spot Memorial, and uh, I managed to get there on the phone anyways. And uh, there was all sorts of people there, that, like the folks that we're talking about right now. Watt was there. I think Dukowski was there. Billy was there. Billy Stevenson. All sorts of folks. And uh, Mugger was there, you know, it's just a bunch of people I hadn't seen in, in a while. And uh, it was a, a fitting and spot's gone. So th later that night, I'm sitting around 
and my phone rings. Right. And who should it be? But it's Desgadina, right? Son of Ozzy. Writer of The Nighttime is the Right Time about trains. Midnight yeah. Special. And so I answer the telephone and I begin chatting with my old pal Des. At which point you let slip. I let slip that uh, we catch up, see how he's doing. He's he's moved out to California. He's taking care of his mother who's gotten on in years. Indeed. And, and uh, he's playing and he was getting ready to play a show the next night with Fear, with the uh, wonderful Fear, who I think we also saw at the Star System. Yes, we did. We did. And uh, he's got a new band called Dondo. Nice. Sounds like a meal. The Dondo meal. It sounds like something you get from Denny's or McDonald's. I'm going to gift him back. His new album can be called Ray, as in referring to, colon, Dondo. R-E colon Dondo. That's what his new album can be. That's fucking weird. You know what? When Chris makes genius it's kind of like a smell it's kind of like when a dog takes his shit it seems, but it's more like a smell that's in the other room Ray, and it's gonna happen Dondo. and it's unpleasant i'm waiting for the end of the story so uh, oh wait yeah there's a, there is a story here this we is hasten great, so. to the end of it so uh i tell des that you uh derek and uh l and i are have been playing some and they were thinking about doing some shows and uh the topic of band names came up as it must unfortunately and, uh, des in his Lovely New Jersey accent. He said, you should call it Happy Universe. Which is preposterous. And then he came over and told us that. And Elmo and I both looked at each other going, thank God we don't have to name it. You should see the list of names that we had for it. I burned that list. I had my own little list that luckily no one got to see. I, I didn't show you mine. <laughs> we avoided having to be responsible for the nominal part. Right. But we also reap the benefits of having a name I enjoy. Yeah. Bequeathed by that absolute maniac, Des Kadena. The wild man of the West Coast. So anyway, we released, uh, unveiled it this week on the social media. It's a seemingly robust fanfare. Yeah. So Des made it up. <laughs> <laughs> so Des named our band and... Uh, I think it's sweet. Yeah. I, right up my alley. I had a dream that he appeared and he had a weapon. And he pressed it into my ribs and he said, what the band name? <laughs> and I was like, no, Uncle Des, don't shoot me. People, everyone I've told likes it a lot. I think it's funny itself. I'm pleased. It's a little too good, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, it's just good, though, because nobody here can take credit for it. Well, Chris can take credit <laughs> well, for it. Well, Chris does get to take some credit for it. Because we determined earlier that Chris was 0% right there, he was 100% right in telling us what. Remember that time we, we got a review? Years ago, our band name. Meat Puppets. Uh, the band that needs a name change. Yeah. It uh, <laughs> would always get people going, the what? And uh, somebody wrote a review. They'd seen a copy of the cassette or something, but the cassette packaging had been bent, so he thought the band's name was Eat Pets. That's it? And then he complained. He thought that there was some virtue to the band. Until he realized the real name. Because it seemed to be making a commentary about eating pets. It was some sort of social... That's what people like, you know? And that he could get behind. Then he realized it was just another band coming up with some goofball name, yep. puppets, and pish posh and poo poo on them. Wait, so eat pets is more heady than meat puppets? He's probably lived in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> 